Hello, I'm Hannah McInnes, and I had the pleasure of attending the Closters Forum in June to interview some of its participants for a podcast series to discuss the complex issue of plastic pollution. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations in order to tackle some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. Hey, I'm Leila Jarlu. I am a designer and sociologist, and I'm deeply passionate about the planet and how we live in it. I uh, run a few different social enterprises that look at the relationship between humans, the behaviors uh, we have, and the impact that our choices have on the world around us. And so I run something called the Unschool, which is an experimental knowledge lab for adults. I run something called uh, Disrupt Design, where we design experiences um, that help challenge the way people think about things. We've designed learning experiences that are in Finland and now in Southeast Asia. And we also work with companies and organizations to help them design for the circular and uh, regenerative economy. Uh, and then I also recently bought a farm of which uh, is called The Co-Project and it stands for Creative Optimism. And it's the Living Learning Laboratory and Brain Spa where we uh, basically give people the opportunity to reconnect with nature, um, but in a non-hippie way. So it's very contemporary, sustainable living and lifestyle uh, on a beautiful place with donkeys. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Okay, wow, you're busy. Um, challenge the way we think. What's the biggest challenge? Which ingrained thinking is the biggest problem? Yeah, so we all went through the same industrialized education system, no matter who you are, where you are, live in the world. It's more than likely that you went through, I don't know, between five and 18 years of traditional education, of which is designed to teach us reductive thinking. So we break the world down into small manageable parts or silos, and then we reconfigure it based on that rather than seeing it as an interconnected whole and that everything is um, related to something else. So where we have doctors and engineers and lawyers um, of the kind of industrial age to manage this growth of human um, innovation, we now need people who are capable uh, of doing several things in different ways and to be able to be flexible and, and think through complex problems. So this is this concept of systems thinking and being able to see that everything is interconnected, whether it be legal systems, um, uh, actively contributing to the disposability crisis that we have, you know, because we have this cleanliness obsession and so we've put these laws in place you know that everything has to be wrapped in plastic it has to be covered it has to be if all the disposable plastic gloves in the world um you know the laws that occurred uh with airline security of the hundred mils you know and how many bottles of nice whiskey and perfume are now you know wasted in the world because of these interventions so we see the relationships between things um and we find ways of more efficiently and effectively meeting human needs in beautiful functional efficient and entertaining ways uh, but without all of the unintended and negative consequences that occur as a result of those interventions and actions so reconfiguring the way we think so that we understand that we nature is not something out there we are all biological beings that exist on one magical planet that happens to be the only known life force in the universe and yet we go and destroy it and consider moving to another planet that doesn't have any life-giving activities on it so it seems all a little bit ridiculous to me so perhaps we need to reconfigure the way we see those things do you think it's realistic can we encourage people to reconfigure the way we think? Are you seeing results? Well, like, of course. Of course, it's uh, anything is possible. You know, the future is undefined. Nobody has a crystal ball into the future. Even if they charge you $5, they, you have nobody knows. And the future is made up of our actions today. In fact, 
every problem that we have is a result of multiple people doing the same thing that caused the unintended consequence, okay? Um, so when we look at consumption-based issues, it's essentially like the ocean plastic waste problem or even climate change um, that is fueled by micro-actions in the economy, like people doing things, buying stuff, turning lights on, taking airplane trips. Like these are all actions and you have the choice to make um, more informed decisions about your actions and everything has a trade-off, right? Like I work in sustainability, I love what I do, I have a, a deep passion for it, but I also get on airplanes all the time and I'm very aware of the environmental uh, impact about around that. And of course, that trade-off, uh, the loss of that from the system has to have a bigger gain, which is this concept of regeneration. So if I can make more change as a result of getting on that airplane and I can also mitigate that in some way, in this case, I plant several hundred trees now on my farm. Um, I mean, it's not a perfect situation by any means, but there's a very conscious, um, uh, I mean, yes, post-rationalization, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's intentional actions. Most people do things without understanding the consequences of their actions. Right. Yeah. And that brings me to something I've heard you talk about, the kettle, which yeah. really hit home. Because um, you're British. When I heard you talk about <laughs> it, because I'm British, how can you tell? But there are that's one of many things that you are trying to hammer home to people that they are doing without even thinking about it. And the consequences mm. are huge. Tell me, us, about that. Yeah, well, I mean, everyday ubiquitous items like kettles and refrigerators and cell phones are actually scripting our behavior in different ways. So the kettle story is essentially the minimum fill line on your kettle that's giving you an indication about how much water you need to put in it so that it's safe. Uh, most people overcompensate and they kind of fill up usually half or all the way, but most of the time you're only boiling for one maximum a pot of, of water, like a, a teapot. And so most people overboil uh, water, which as a one person, doesn't seem like it's a very big impact but there was calculations done a few years ago that showed that in the UK alone where there's like 97% of houses own electric kettles um, that the um, energy wasted from all of those people overboiling uh, too much water is enough to light all the street lights in England for a six month period uh, London sorry I mean whatever the numbers are the reality is is that micro actions add up to macro impact and um, it's so funny because for me I, I don't overfill it I'm very particular but I always forget about it so I'm a chronic reboiler meaning I walk away from the kettle and it doesn't ding it doesn't do anything anymore and so I've completely forgotten about it and then I walk back past it 20 minutes later I think oh tea and then I got touched the outside oh it's gone completely cold because they're not insulated and these are all design decisions and so then I have to make a very conscious choice do I waste more energy to boil the tea uh, water again for tea or do I give up on tea? You know, and I mean, that sounds like maybe I'm being a little bit pedantic, but uh, it's not. It's just these are thought processes we all have every moment of our day. It's just that I have a lens that is very conscious of the impact of my decisions. And uh, I want to be a positive force on the planet in whatever way I can be, you know, and, uh, and uh, that obviously applies to the micro actions I make in my day to day life, how the clothes I buy, um, the food I eat, all of these kinds of things. And, and not to be dogmatic about it, of course, but to certainly be conscious of it and to be then more um, excited by the decisions I do make, you know. So then I stand next to the tea kettle, like as a kind of form of enforced mindfulness, <laughs> I mean, I think that one of the most useful things we can do with this podcast is tell people about those micro actions because people feel quite helpless, don't they? So it's very encouraging when you listen to you because I you actually think you know. can go home yeah. and that is something we can all do. Yeah, what else can we all do? I don't know if people feel do? helpless. Do you think people feel helpless? <laughs> I think that people feel 
grateful for statistics like the kettle statistic because I think people can, I know that that's the shareable statistic. I can hear myself going back and telling my family and friends Factoids. that. So are there, what are the other simple, doable things that we can change in a day? Okay, well, first of all, I would just challenge anyone listening to think, um, to ask their friends and family if they feel hopeless because what I, in my research, I'm a sociologist, in my research, I actually found that most people... Um, given the chance, uh, have a lot of hope and they actually do a lot of Help, things. Helpless, I said. Yeah, but they have a lot of hope. Yeah, okay. So hope is the opposite of feeling helpless, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So that and, and people actually do things all the time. Um, they just might not be, like, vocal about it. Um, so, so a lot of people make conscious choices to have a lower impact, but it's that they feel that their single action is not beneficial. Right. And I understand that feeling because when the magnitude of the problem is, is presented with such extremity, it becomes, you feel insignificant in relation to the giant system that's around you. Right. Um, like certainly if you are a systems thinker, that completely gets turned on its head because you realize that everything's interconnected. There is no blame. Every problem holds its own solution. Um, the future is undefined. Like these tools that actually help you be like overcoming the reductionism of that thought process. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so the the second thing I would say is um, one of the big areas of impact is food choices. Like food um, is very very uh, intrinsic part of life. I think we all eat, and uh, so we we don't realize that a lot of our everyday food choices of something we do three times a day on average has significant impacts. And I have another example which is re related to the refrigerator, of which a lot of people have, not all people, but a lot of people, and um, and food waste. Uh, so there's a thing in your refrigerator called very wrongly called a crisper drawer, but it doesn't make anything stay crisp, right? And in the another UK example is a report came out a few years ago. It was called the Soggy Lettuce Report, of which it was identified that a common contributor to household waste were things like soggy lettuces. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and limp carrots. Yes. Right? So the crisper drawer doesn't work because it should be a sealed environment in order to stop the uh, liquid that's in the cells of vegetables um, from evaporating. So you know when you're on an aeroplane for a long time, you get really dry skin? That's what's happening to your carrot. It's kind of basically drying out. And in the process of drying out, it becomes quite sad. Um, uh, so what happens and, and uh, is if you can intervene in this, first of all, if you have a soggy carrot, if you rehydrate it in water, you'll be able to pop it in a stir fry and it'll be great because you just leave it in water. It doesn't work for lettuce, right? The lettuce is probably gone. Um, but uh, the other thing is you can very simply simple intervention is to get a, um, a, a usually a big plastic tub that has lockable sides you know the little clips that clip on the top and if you put your broccoli and all of your uh, cell-based vegetables which is anything that used to live um, in there it will uh, stop that dehydration process and you'll get three weeks lifespan out of those vegetables so for me it's a travesty that in the 55 years or 60 years that we've had refrigerators in our homes the design of them has not really changed very much maybe now you can get a, a freezer down the bottom which makes a bit more sense because you don't use it that often um but that we could dramatically reduce food waste because most food waste comes from the home by redesigning our refrigerators you say that design is a huge part of the problem Pe people are designing things still to break, to have a short life so that you go back and buy more. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing, right, that we really need to change yeah, planned people's mindset on. Yeah. So I think I say this probably every day under my breath that like everything's now designed to break. Everything. And it's a... <laughs> 
travesty, but it fuels the economy. And many people would argue that without planned obsolescence, we wouldn't have economic growth, um, of which I argue uh, that, you know, uh, continuing to manipulate people into forced consumption cycles is not only unethical, but it also takes away any of our consumer sovereignty. So nowadays you don't own a cell phone. You might think you own a cell phone. You actually are buying into the service of um, using that cell phone for as long as the service provider decides that you can use it because the batteries are engineered to have a certain number of cycles and as is the operating systems are designed to slow down the operation or one might argue the less cynical would say well technology increases at such a fast rate that the operating systems just can't survive on the the smaller brains of the older phones um but then there is the very insidious and very uh, undeniable fact that most technology uh, is now designed with proprietary screws so screws that your major companies uh, design with a slight variation and then they make it a proprietary screw. So it's illegal for you to sell the screwdriver to open your phone or your television. So there's no sovereignty anymore, meaning you don't have any right over the things you buy because of we've created these legal systems that allow companies to essentially sell you a service in the form of a physical product. So one of the things that the circular economy and all of the propositions around sustainable design is saying is that we can actually, we're already doing that. We might as well create what's called a product service system model where phone companies they do that, but then they're actually making sure that they have designed their product so that back in their facility, once they take it back, they can very quickly disassemble and reconfigure it um, and recycle the valuable materials because now it's cheaper to get gold from a ton of old mobile phones than it is to get gold from a ton of gold ore. So there's a lot of economic uh, uh, opportunities as well as, of course, the social and environmental benefits of creating closed-loop products. But yeah, so I think planned obsolescence has been a major problem since the end of the Second World War where it was actually intentionally used as a form of um, uh, activating the economy and uh, it's become so normal how France has a law against it though which is pretty cool um, and uh, there are many movements at different points to re-sovereignize which is not a word um, <laughs> uh, the individual uh, uh, relationship with the products and services that we are uh, uh, evoked to part with our money for the service of whatever that product's providing us right like that's ultimately what we're doing is we're buying the functionality of a product and sometimes you don't need that functionality for that long you know so there's then all the sharing economy model and the the um so there's a lot of potential and possibility to reconfigure our economy uh through design so that we actually meet our needs in beautiful ways but don't have all of these unintended uh consequences because at the end of the day most people they have other people that they like you know the little humans and the big humans we have families and friends we have communities and most people would say that they believe that um uh, conserving the beautiful planet that we all share for future generations is of a high priority. Uh, not all, believe it or not, um, but most people would probably agree with that. And therefore, it seems that it makes complete sense that we would, after a couple hundred years of industrial um, development, make some uh, redesign decisions, right? So redesigning out fossil fuel, which is an old fuel, uh, when we have the technology to capture uh, sun and wind and other forms of power, it just makes sense, right? Like, just makes sense. And it's not to say um, it's going to happen tomorrow but certainly happening so there's a lot of hope and potential and I think the changes that are happening because they are already happening um, just need to be amplified uh, more and we need to maintain more hope uh, be more creative uh, take some responsibility over the impacts of our actions don't deflect responsibility to other parts of the system uh, and realize that for every problem card you want to pull out like 
I love to have a good bitch and moan, um, you have to pull out a double solution card, right? So if you were going to complain, you've got to have two solutions and you've got to take action on one of them. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure.